You're listening to Brains On, where we're serious about being curious. Brains On is supported in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. This is Brains On Headquarters. Where can I take you? Hey, elevator. Elevator, take us to the Brains On Labra Kitchen. Labra Kitchen? I'm so excited for you to see this. It's part lab, part kitchen. It's where we make food, but you know us. We always have some new idea we're trying to work out. Here we are. Brains on, Labra Kitchen. Goggles on. Taste buds ready. Thanks, elevator. Hey, Nantine. Hey, Molly. You guys, come over here. You got to see this. What have you got, Sandin? I have been tinkering for months, and I finally got it working. Here it is. dun dun dun, dun. The Luke Warminator. It's so sparkly. Huh? Oh, uh, yeah. I dropped a bunch of parts in that vat of glitter downstairs by accident. But look, you take this super hot soup that's been bubbling away on the stove for an hour. It smells so good. Yeah, but way too hot to eat. So I put it in the lukewarminator, press this button, and... Go ahead, try it now. Try it, try it. Oh my gosh, it's not hot at all anymore. And it's not too cold either. Exactly. It's perfectly lukewarm. The best temperature in the world. I can put in ice water or frozen peas, and voila! Lukewarm water, lukewarm peas. Genius, right? You will never burn your tongue again. Ah, look out! What's going on back there? Oh, uh... That's Mark. He's working on his traveling kitchen idea. It looks like he's just wearing a jumpsuit with a blender taped on one arm and a toaster taped to his back. Yeah, it's a work in progress. Hey, Sandin, can I get your help? The toast is ready, but I, I can't reach it. Coming, Mark. Uh, I'll see you guys later. I'm going to go help with that. We better head to the studio anyway. I can take you there. But don't you want to try anti-gravity mode first or visit a spork factory? Thanks, elevator, but we're good. Fine. Studio it is. Chill, chop, mix, heat. Reverse the order, then repeat. Heat, mix, chop, chill. The recipe for every meal. Chill, chop, mix, heat. Reverse the order, then repeat. Heat, mix, chop, chill. The recipe for every meal. You're listening to Brains On from American Public Media. I'm Molly Bloom, and my co-host for our series on the science of cooking is Nantine Ba from New York City. Hi, Nantine. Hi. So, Nantine, you are part of a program called Harlem Grown, where you learn about growing and cooking your own food. Can you tell us a little bit about the Harlem Grown garden? What kind of vegetables and fruits do you grow in the garden? We grow a lot of herbs. Like we grow parsley, sage basil, dill. We also grow cucumbers and tomatoes, Swiss chard, collard greens. We grow those too. So when did you start using a knife for cooking? Second grade because my after school had like a cooking activity. Like there'd be a cooking teacher and she would teach us how to make basic things like yogurt parfaits and stuff. And they also took us to Columbia University for some cooking classes. Cool. When you first started using a knife. Were you nervous about it or were you like, let's do this? I wasn't really nervous because it was a plastic knife. So it was like, oh, I was like, I can't cut myself with this. So what tips do you have for, you know, kids who might not have started using knives yet and might feel a little nervous about it? 
don't use a knife that looks dangerous because you're going to get scared. You're going to start overthinking it. And you might end up cutting yourself in the process. So start with like a smaller, more manageable knife for your smaller hands. Yeah. Good tip. We are very lucky because Nanteen is not the only culinary expert helping us out with this series. We've partnered with the Brilliant Minds at America's Test Kitchen to answer your many food-related queries. So far, we've tackled your questions on chilling and heating the stuff we eat. This week, our knives are drawn and we're ready to chop. We're starting with this question. Hi, my name is Ben and I live in Ventura, California. My question is, why do things that are thinner cut better than things that are wider? Yeah, why is it you can slice so nice with a thin blade, but if you use something wider, like a rolling pin, you just smush it? Brains on producer Sandon Totten is here with an answer. Hey guys, I just made the most amazing lukewarm latte. All right, I'm ready to answer this question. But first, we need to understand a little bit more about how knives slice. Let's start with this knife and this carrot. Chopping it seems like no big drama, right? I would say there is zero drama happening right now. Yeah, I used to think that too. Then I called up Julia Majors with the American Institute of Physics, and she set me straight. Well, it's uh, fascinating at all levels. When you're actually just making a basic cut, you are using forces of materials that are pushing against each other. And at that point of contact, then you have kind of a battle of one material over the other. All right, soldiers, that knife is trying to tear our carrot army apart. Will we let it? No! That knife thinks we're weak. Are we weak? No! That knife wants to chop us up and put us in a salad. Are we a salad? I kind of like salad. I think we'd be good. Yeah, totally. Yeah, let's do it. Let's look a little closer at what's going on. Uh, Where's Mark's zoom ray? Let me see. Zoom ray? It's something Mark put together a while back, but don't worry, it works way better than the traveling kitchen. Phew. Yes, I found it. So let's zoom in on this carrot knife battle. Both carrots and knives are made up of these things called molecules. Yes, everything is made up of molecules. They're the building blocks of the universe. Totally, totally. Now, if we zoom in on a specific molecule... We see it's made up of even smaller parts, called atoms. Whoa. Those atoms have a center and then some kind of weird cloud around them. What is that? Those are clouds of electrons. Electrons are these itsy-bitsy, tiny, whiny, buzzing little particles that help make up atoms. They're negatively charged and super fascinating. Julia Majors told me that it's here, at the level of the electron cloud, that the cutting actually happens. You're gonna have that cloud of electronic charge right at the edge of that carrot material. And then you're gonna have another cloud of the electron charge around the metal. And when they approach each other, then you're gonna have, at the end of the day, it's electromagnetic forces on that microscopic level. Both the carrot's electron clouds and the knife's electron clouds are negatively charged. And remember, opposites attract, but samesies push awaysies. So that means these two negatively charged clouds are going to push each other away. 
Kind of like how two similar sides of a magnet push each other away. Come on, Team Knife. Let's let's, let's shove these carrot clouds out of the way. <sighs> Stand your ground, carrots. Hold tight. Push right back. Now, to answer Benjamin's question, here is why a sharp, narrow blade is better than a wide, flat one. See, when you're pushing down on the knife, you are applying pressure. The narrower and sharper the edge of the knife, the smaller an area the force of the knife goes to, leading to more pressure for the same effort. If you have a wide, flat edge, the force is spread out over a large area, so the pressure is weaker overall. You don't want that because you're going to need all the force you can get to break apart that carrot. And since the forces that hold the metal molecules of the knife together are stronger than the forces holding the carrot molecules together, that carrot has a really tough time with a sharp knife. Come on, Team Carrot! Keep it together! Push harder, Knife Adams! We're almost there! At some point, that material is going to break apart so that part of the carrot goes on one side and part of the carrot goes on the other side of where they meet. I slipped! I lost our grip! Oh, no! Yes, knives did it! Coming through! <laughs> Move out of the way, carrot heads! <laughs> so when you cut something, you're not splitting carrot atoms per se, but you are pushing them away from other carrot atoms that make up carrot molecules and carrot cells with the knife. And it gets even weirder. These carrot and knife atoms push each other away with electromagnetic force, which means they never actually touch each other at all. What? I know, right? So the knife moves forward and the carrot molecules part around it, leaving the path wide open for the blade. Okay, you are blowing my mind right now. So when I cut something with a knife, the knife and the thing never actually touch? Nope. And that's true of anything that you touch, even though you feel it and you feel that touch. When you look really, really at the very interface of your hand and the surface, it's actually not fully, fully touching because of those opposing charges. So I'm not actually touching this table right now? Nope. You're just feeling electrons repelling other electrons. So when I sit in this chair... Just clouds of butt molecules hovering over chair molecules, Molly. This is too much. Yeah, science can totally mess up your mind. But it will give you something really cool to think about next time you chop a carrot. Thanks, Sandin. Yeah, thanks. No problem. Now, if you'll excuse me, this latte got a little too cold while we were talking, so I'm going to go re-lukewarminate it. See you guys. It's always important to be careful when using a knife. They can do serious damage, even with the mind-blowing physics we just talked about. But here's a safety tip that might be surprising. A sharp knife is actually way, way safer than a dull one. That's Sasha Marks, an editor with America's Test Kitchen Kids. Dull knives may be more dangerous because you have to push down hard to use them. And that could lead to your knife slipping and cutting you instead of the food. Nantine, what is your favorite knife to use? A small knife. How do you use it? Do you do you chop quickly? Do you chop carefully? What is your style? I chop carefully. Excellent. Always good to be careful. My favorite knife is a serrated knife. Those ones with like that look like little saws that are good for cutting tomatoes or crusty breads. And our friends at America's Test Kitchen Kids shared a great recipe with us for you to practice your knife skills. It's a peach tomato salad perfect for summer. 
Here's Molly Birnbaum from America's Test Kitchen Kids. We are chopping, and we're using two different types of knives, which really gets at how knives behave and which is best for which different type of ingredient, um, as well as using our hands to tear apart some other types of ingredients. If you want this very delicious, totally refreshing recipe, you can head to our website, brainson.org. Sounds scrumptious. And for more top-notch recipes, sign up for the America's Test Kitchen Kids Newsletter. You'll get ideas for meals and hands-on activities straight to your inbox. Go to americastestkitchen.com slash kids to sign up. You'll be the very first on your block to learn all about ATK Kids, which launches this fall. It's the perfect way to excite the next generation of curious cookers and engaged eaters. And speaking of engaged, let's engage those eardrums. Fire up your critical thinking. It's time for the mystery sound. Mystery sound. Here it is. Okay. Any guesses, Nantine? So it sounds like something's getting cut through. Mm-hmm. Any guesses what that thing might be? Bread. Excellent thought. All right, we are going to be back with the answer later in the show. Do you have a mystery sound you'd like to share with us? A cooking question you want answered on the show? Or maybe a drawing of Santa's lukewarminator or Mark's traveling kitchen. Share it all with us. Just head to brainson.org slash contact. Your mail always makes our day. We're also looking for your answers to this question. If aliens came to Earth and you could only serve them one dish to represent the food of the planet, what dish would you serve them and why? Molly, you've been asking everyone else, but now it's your turn to answer. What would you serve the aliens? Oh man, this is a really hard question. I, you know, it's hard to know what they eat. Like, what if they don't eat meat? Or what if they don't even have a mouth like what if they just need to get their nutrients from like a mist so i guess i would serve them like a soup because it's warm so even if they like don't eat the soup they could inhale the steam coming off of it and maybe get some nutrients that way now thinking about it because i kind of been thinking about it over the week Mm -hmm. i would just serve them water why because like i mean when they're coming to earth they're gonna see the water as like they get to earth And it's like, it's the most diverse thing we have. Well, if aliens do come to Earth, I hope they'll submit some rad mystery sounds to us. Those would be hard to guess. But those aliens would be the first interplanetary members of the Brain's Honor Roll. Yeah, they joined the Earth's finest, like Bronwyn. Hello, my name is Bronwyn from Brooklyn, New York. And my question is, why are there holes in Swiss cheese? We'll have an answer during our moment of um at the end of the show, as well as the latest group of Earthlings to join the Brains Honor Roll. Stay tuned. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. 
Sign up today at marketplace.org slash academy. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org slash academy. Do you like food? Yes. Tired of having to shove entire potato in mouth? Uh... Wish head of lettuce was in sizes of bites? Sure, but I mean, you can just chop it. Exactly! Now, first time ever, you too can chop food! It's Gongador teaches you to chop good video series! Learn from me, Master Chopper, Gongador! Hiya! Nom nom nom. Boy, it sure is hard to bite through this watermelon rind. Use patented watermelon chop and trouble's over! hey Thanks, Gungador. Now my watermelon is so chopped. Wait, he just smashed it. That's not chopping. I want to share this cake, but I have no way to make smaller portions. Use special pastry chop! hey Yes, now there are pieces for everyone. What are you talking about? He just splattered cake everywhere. You'd have to scrape it off the wall. If you buy video series now, Gungador will throw in lessons on more amazing chops. Like raw chicken chop, wet noodle chop, giant vat of jello chop, and legendary world famous ice cream chop. Yeah! Everyone loves chopped ice cream. No, they don't. That's not a thing. And besides, that's not chopping. The big guy's just punching stuff. Haven't you people ever heard of using a knife? Gongador teaches you to chop good video series. Call now. Operators are standing by. Hiya! Don't call. Don't support this lunacy, please. Just use a knife. You're listening to Brains On from American Public Media. I'm Nancy Ba. And I'm Molly Bloom. Today, our minds are sharp and our knives are sharper as we chop our way through some fascinating cooking science. We've learned about why sharp knives cut better than dull knives. But how do you make a knife in the first place? Knife maker Mariah Coles invited us into her studio, Orchard Steel, in Vermont, to show us how it's done. Okay, forging is the first part of the knife making process. Basically, to forge, you take a piece of steel and you put it in a forge, which is an oven or a kiln that gets up to 2,000 degrees. It gets really, really hot. So it turns that first red and then orange. So when it's that orange color, it gets soft and it changes the molecular structure in there so that it's a little bit softer. It's sort of like hard clay so that you can hammer it to shape and you can get the piece of steel to the shape you want. In order to hammer it to shape, I actually have to use the anvil, big heavy piece of steel that has horn on one side and a flat part on the other. And I use it to put the hot piece of metal on so that I can hammer against something hard to help me shape the steel. So the first part, you know, I'll hammer just the tip of it so that I'm getting to the tip of the knife and then I'll get the heel, which is the 
part where the blade reaches the handle, and then I'll flatten it out and create a bevel where the top of the knife or the spine goes from thick to thin, because I want to start on the thick on the top and get thin towards the edge. I probably heat it up, I don't know, between 10 and 15 times just to go through the whole process of making the knife. So going from a rectangle to a fully formed knife. After I've forged the basic knife shape, the next part of the process is heat treating the knife. And it's just a basic process of heating and cooling the knife in order to harden the steel. So the knife starts out in the heat treating oven, which is about 1500 degrees. It's like four or five times as hot as a pizza oven. And then I'm taking it out and in less than eight seconds, dunking it into a tank of cold oil. So if you can imagine being like standing by the side of a volcano and then as quick as you can, jumping into ice cold water, it's sort of like that and that is called quenching. Then I grind them with a belt sander to make the edge of the knife sharp. Um, and that's where I'm doing that by hand, so my fingers are passing by a, a like really fast belt sander, so sandpaper that's moving really fast. And you can imagine it's cutting steel, so if my finger gets in the way, it's gonna cut my finger even faster. So I've, I've lost a few you know, fingernails um, and I've never caught myself on fire, which is good. <laughs> um, I've had to be, re you have to be really careful though. You have to be respectful because it's, it's really elemental. I really like that part of it actually, because it's just steel, fire, and like manpower or woman power. <laughs> Thanks to producer Erica Heilman for heading into the studio with Mariah. Making knives is super cool and super noisy. And speaking of noises, it's time to go back to the mystery sound. We'll see if you've honed your listening skills. Are you ready, Nantine? Yes. All right. Here it is again. Any new guesses? It sounds more like something crunchy being crumbled up. Mm -hmm. Here is the answer. So my name is Molly Birnbaum, and I'm the editor-in-chief of America's Test Kitchen Kids. And that was the sound of an onion being peeled. An onion? Oh. Yeah. So have you peeled an onion before? No. Do you know that sort of like crinkly, outside papery part of the onion that you take off before you eat it? Yeah. That's what that sound was. And I have a question. Have you ever been around onions when they're being chopped? Yes. Do your eyes water? Yeah. Do you have any tips for avoiding that whole thing? So I learned this from a video. So if you want to like, if you're cutting onions or like garlic or something that'll make your eyes water, just chew gum. Like I think mint gum is better than like fruit flavored bubble gum, stuff like that. But if you're chewing gum, preferably mint, it's like, I don't know how, but it's like your eyes don't water. And I was with my friends in the Harlem Grown office during one of the Saturdays when we were cooking and we all had like gum. So then we tried it and like our eyes didn't water, surprisingly. That is an excellent tip. Well, if you want to find out 
how onions make you cry, you can listen to our episode called For Crying Out Loud, All About Tears, and you'll find out all about this very potent vegetable. Now, Nantine is a relative knife newbie, but we wanted her to learn from an expert chopper. Francis Lamb is the host of public radio show Splendid Table. He writes and thinks about food a lot, and he's also a very talented, classically trained chef. The way I use a knife now, I learned um, in cooking school, in culinary school, and in restaurant kitchens. Um, but it's not the kind of knife and not the kind of like knife usage that I grew up using. I grew up in a, in a Chinese-American home, and there we used you know, big cleavers. In Western cuisine and French cuisine... You see these chefs, they go in the restaurants, and they have the whole knife kit. It's like this ridiculous display of like, well, I got this 8-inch knife, I got the 6-inch knife, I got the 2-inch knife, I got the 45-inch knife, you know, whatever. And they all have like different blades and different sharpnesses and all that stuff. And then you go to like even a master Chinese chef, and like, I got one knife. The idea is you can do every cut you need to do with that one knife, and it's a big, wide cleaver. I'm not saying one is better than the other, one style is better than the other, one, or one skill or one philosophy or one cuisine is better than the other. But if you think about the fact that one cuisine is talking about, okay, you have all these different tools to do all these different individual tasks versus this other cuisine that's like, I got one tool, and I can do all the same tasks. <laughs> Like, that's kind of cool, right? So, Nancy, are you, how comfortable are you with a knife? For me, it really does depend on the size. Because my hands, they're pretty small. <laughs> As to with a bigger knife, it's not uncomfortable for me. But it's kind of like I have more caution because it's like the middle is what's going inside of what I'm cutting. Mm -hmm. So, it's like I'm kind of cautious not to stab into, like, the cereal box or <laughs> the containers. Yeah, you're, you're slicing, not stabbing. What's, like, your first memory using a knife? I think my first memory using a knife was when my auntie came over for, like, a big family dinner. And she's a really good cook, so she was actually doing a lot of the cooking. I was maybe, like, nine years old, ten years old, something like that. And I was always, like, I always like to hang out in the kitchen because I'd be like, oh, is that done? I'm going to taste that. You know, <laughs> like, I was just, like, straight chilling. Like, never had anything to do. And I remember her saying to me, hey, do you want to peel this carrot? And then asking me, hey, do you want to help me cut the carrot? And that was, I think, the first time I was ever asked to use a knife, and I remember that, and I remember thinking, I feel so old right now. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like such a grown-up right now. Does it matter how you chop up the food you're going to cook? I think it matters depending on what you're trying to cook and what kind of effect you're trying to get. For me, like different shapes don't necessarily matter as much although they can. That's like my old chef yelling at me again, like, no, this has to be a perfect circle. This has to be a perfect rectangle. This has to be a perfect square. Uh, and part of that is for presentation. But even beyond presentation, size actually does matter when you, when you cut, and surface area matters when you cut. If you're exposing more sides of the inside and you're frying it or cooking it in a pan and you want to get it brown and delicious and caramelized, more sides means more browning, means more crispy, means more tasty. But, you know, if you're cooking a soup and you're just dropping a whole carrot in the soup and you're going to cook it for like an hour, two hours, all that flavor is going to come out of the carrot anyway. It doesn't really matter how you cut it. Do all kinds of cookings use knives or are there other ways to break up food and like release the flavor? Oh, that's a good question. 
I think most cuisines and most cultures do use knives. I think a lot of them use them differently. But I think if you're talking about like not using knives, there are times when, when I know chefs too who say like, no, don't use a knife because that's too sharp. And you want, it, you want to rip something instead, like an herb maybe. You want to rip an herb instead of cutting it. And what ripping something does is if you think about, okay, like a leaf of an herb, and that herb is going to be made of cells, right? And inside those cells are all like the aromas and all the good stuff that's in that herb. And if you cut it with a knife and the knife is sharp, then you're just kind of cutting it really cleanly. And you're not releasing that much versus if you rip it and tear it, maybe like bunch it up and crush it a little bit, then you're actually kind of breaking open a whole lot of those cells and you're releasing all those flavors and releasing all those aromas. So there are times when you don't want to use a knife and times when you do want to use a knife and a lot of it is kind of like living and learning and trying things out. Bye, Francis. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Nantine. It's great to talk with you. Oh, great to talk with you too. Chopping up your food is an important step in cooking, but there's more than one right way to do it. Just make sure you do it safely. There's a lot of art and science that goes into shaping metal into a knife. And when you cut something, it's really electromagnetic forces pushing apart the molecules. And your knife and the food you're cutting never really touch at all. That's it for this episode of Brains On. Brains On is produced by Mark Sanchez, Sandin Totten, and Molly Bloom. We couldn't have made this series without our friends at America's Test Kitchen, Molly Birnbaum, Caitlin Kelleher, Sasha Marks, Tucker Shaw, and Lisa McManus. And we have production help this week from Lauren D., Emily Allen, and Jacqueline Kim. Many thanks to Kadia Tuba, John Miller, Tony Hillary, Julie Williams, Michelle Faust, John Raby, Jennifer Miller, Elissa Dudley, and Matthew Bynum. And we had engineering help from Veronica Rodriguez, John Miller, and Sarah Bruguer. Now, before we go, it's time for our moment of um. Why are there holes in Swiss cheese? <laughs> My name is Jenny Eastwood, and my company is called Small Goods. I am what is known as a cheesemonger. A cheesemonger is one who sells cheese. Swiss cheese has holes because of little gas explosions caused by very tiny, very healthy microbes. So what are microbes? Well, microbes are very tiny organisms that can only be seen under a microscope. Microbes live in cheese, happily munching away on the sugar and fat within that cheese. And just like people, all that food makes them full of gas. Because these microbes live inside the cheese, this gas, known as carbon dioxide, is trapped and it blows up like a balloon. When these balloons pop, they create holes, or eyes, as we cheesemongers call them. I'm feeling super cheesy with emotion as I prepare to read through this list of names. This is the most recent group to join the Brains Honor Roll. These are the amazing listeners who send us their questions, ideas, mystery sounds, drawings, and energy to keep our show going. Here they are. 
Noah from Holly Springs, North Carolina, Vivian from Evanston, Illinois, Emlyn from Austin, Texas, Roy from Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Sylvie from Philadelphia, Ariadna and Beatrice from New Brunswick, New Jersey, Ruby and Geronimo from Fullerton, California, Blaze from El Paso, Texas, Rishon from Los Angeles, Aurelia from Thousand Oaks, California, Mia and Matias from Miami, Poppy, Oliver and Willow from Toronto, Edward from Markham, Ontario, the elementary class at Spruce Pine Montessori in Spruce Pine, North Carolina, Madeline from Arlington, Massachusetts, Harlow from Carolina Beach, North Carolina, Eloise and Oscar from Ross, California, Molly from Meridian, Mississippi, Evelyn and Aaliyah from Durham, North Carolina, Griffin from Manitoulin Island, Ontario, Vinny from Bainbridge Island, Washington, Avery, Holland and Audrey from Danville, Indiana, Chase from San Diego, Amelia from Singapore, Remy from Greeley, Colorado, Isla from Southfield, Michigan, Dorothy and Juliet from Switzerland, Colin from Pleasanton, California, Phoebe from Tacoma Park, Maryland, Charles from Victoria, British Columbia, Eleanor, Annabelle and Hadley from Indianapolis, Bo from Canberra, Australia, Desmond from Pasadena, California, Sigourney from Texas, Evelina from Dallas, Charlotte and Adeline from Tacoma Park, Maryland, Jared from San Francisco, Elliot and George from Stockholm, Sweden, and Wyatt from Los Angeles. If you want to be on the Brains Honor Roll, it's easy. Just send your questions, mystery sounds, ideas, or drawings to us by visiting brainson.org slash contact. And you can listen to the rest of the series at our website, brainson.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back soon with another helping of culinary science. Thanks for listening.